Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again uh, for another, uh, uh, I guess, another uh, another night of our study through the book of First John. We start chapter five tonight, and I am just so I was so into this when I was studying it, finished it up early this morning, and um, my goodness, it was there are just some things. And, and let me let me tell you something that I love, and I didn't anticipate it, I didn't plan it. Uh, it was a surprise, and I love it when the Lord does that. That. Uh, chapter 5, uh, in chapter 5, John sort of pivots, and he, he doesn't change topics. It's still very much about love, but he adds another component. And if you've been here on Sunday morning, if you were here this last Sunday morning, you'll know that we began a series on faith, real faith. Uh, and the thing that John pivots to in 1 John 5 is the connection between love and faith. And uh, I had forgotten that. And when I was studying it, it, I thought, oh, this is so good. I love it when the Lord sort of puts pieces together and gave me understanding as to what, because of the study that I've been doing on faith, gave me much better understanding of what faith was. And then that connected with what we've been studying with love. It just really brings forth some really good understanding. And it feels to me like this. I don't know if it feels that way to you. I hope it does. Um, the more that I, uh, when I was new in the faith, you, I learned little, little doctrinal, little truth sort of statements, just little pieces. Um, saved by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Uh, it is God's love that, you know, that God so loved the world. That th- those sorts of things, little pieces. And they're good foundational pieces, but they're almost like, it's almost like putting together a puzzle and you get the, you know, everybody goes for the outside first and you get that done and then you begin to fill it in and slowly the picture begins to, to reveal itself. I think that's what this, this, uh, I don't know, in the last few years, it's like big pieces of the puzzle are falling into place and the thing that is a life in Christ, that picture, the, the, the whole picture, the, the holistic picture is just getting more and more firm in my spirit. I hope that it is yours as well. Uh, and tonight is another, uh, it was another piece of that. So thank you so much for being here. Let me read, uh, we're going to do uh, verses 1 through 5 tonight. Let me read those and then I'd like to pray for us. John writes this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now that may sound like a lot of I don't know a lot of back and forth, but there's some great truths in here. Let's pray. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to reveal those to us. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to take your word and and just dig into it again, Lord. I'm I'm always encouraged by this study. Lord, I don't know that it is, uh, it's certainly not as exciting as uh, preaching, uh, but there's just some great meat here, great foundational truths that I know I need. And I suspect that those uh, that are watching this, in fact, I think all people, Father, need uh, to have a deeper understanding of your word and a more full picture of what it means to be a Christ follower. Lord, the deeper we go, the more that I am absolutely 100% convinced that in the church world, um, in, the, in the popular church world, Father, in the, and I don't mean that just like the people that like it, Lord, popular, but I mean in the, in the church world as a whole, out among the populace, that we've done some strange things to what it means to be a Christ follower. And we have, Lord, we, all of us, my flesh included, Father, we, we strain to move away from the biblical call of discipleship and what it means to be yours. We, we want it to be easier. We want it to be more popular in the sense that everybody will like it. We want it to be more palatable. We want it to fit better into, well, the life that we envision for ourselves and sometimes that we want. But Father, ultimately, and that's what's been so good about First John, Lord, we, we are not left to a subjective standard. It is your word. 
And we are drawn back to it again and again. So, Holy Spirit, would you, as we pray so often, take this word, make it alive in us. Lord, that is not rhetoric. That is a real prayer. Let your word live in us. Let it, let it become the life-giving uh, essence of who we are. Let it inform our decisions, our virtues, our values, our priorities. Let there not be a single part of our life not informed by your word and as such, Father, your kingdom. We ask you to do it. Only you can, but I know that you can. It's not all at once, Lord. I think sometimes when I pray, Father, I I want it to happen all at once with everybody. But, Lord, this is a journey, and this is is rock by rock. This is note by note. Uh, This is step by step. And so take us another step tonight, Father. We bless you, and we love you. We thank you for this opportunity and for the free access we have to your powerful word in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you. If you haven't already, hit the share button on your uh, browser there uh, in your social media platform. Let others know that we're here, and uh, you never know what God might do through you sharing that. Um, John has been saying in the entirety of our study so far, John has been saying that the earmark, the indicator of uh, Christian identity is love. Um, He has reinforced that. He's used it. We've talked about it, that love is the non-subjective test of who you are in Christ. Do you love? And is it a genuine love? And does it express itself? Love for the brothers in the body of Christ. Love for people outside the body of Christ. And love has been what John has used as the earmark for that throughout this. What's interesting in this, oh, John makes such a powerful connection. And and to simplify it, uh, he says this, that the path to that love, so if love is the genuine indicator of what it means to be a Christ follower, John says that the path, how you get there, is faith. My goodness, what a, what a great providential moment that we're at. Um, I, I, the, one of the commentaries that I, that I love, um, it's the um, exegetical commentary of the New Testament. Um, the, uh, the editor of that particular version uh, said this, True faith leads to a particular quality and depth of love. True faith leads us to a particular quality and depth of love. I think those are great, great things to sort of set the stage for where we're going. Let's read verse 1 again, and then uh, just a lot of good stuff here. John writes this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Um. Notice right off the bat that this isn't some hit or miss, um, important to some people sort of a standard. This isn't for some and not for others. But rather, John says this is a a universal truth for all believers. Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Not some, not, not Pentecostals, not Catholics, not Baptists, not Presbyterians. not Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. So there is, this, there is this inclusive nature right off the bat. It's interesting when he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, John has spoken about the Christ, that, that title of Jesus, five times in this epistle. Let me just remind you of what they were. He says this, uh, the one whom believers enjoy fellowship with is the Christ. That's in chapter 1, verse 3. He said that the that the Christ is the righteous one who makes intercession with the Father. That was in chapter 2, verse 1. He said the Christ is the one whom the Antichrist denies. That was in chapter 2, verse 22. In chapter 3, verse 23, he said the one in whose name people are commanded to trust is Jesus the Christ. And finally, the one who has come from God in the flesh in chapter 4, verse 2, is Jesus the Christ. All right? Um, It's interesting to me, and let me refer to the verse again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Now, I want you to to think about something here for a moment. Uh, Those of you that are old enough uh, to remember the sort of the Jesus movement of the 70s, it was in that, at least in my recollection, it was in that period of time that the phrase born again became a... It's certainly a doctrinal, theological, biblical term, but it was in that 
decade of the 70s that being born again became a really, uh, it was the term that people used. Have you been born again? Are you born again? Um, books written by that name. And I think because of the popularity of that and the usage of that, we begin to lose some of the of, of what's uh, intended with the way that term is used in the scriptures. All right, I want you to think about it for a moment. And let me, let me show you some things. What did Jesus, what do you think Jesus meant when he told Nicodemus, you must be born again? Do you remember in John uh, chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that's when Nicodemus asked that really, you know, normal question. Lord, how? I'm a, I'm a grown man. I can't enter back into my mother's womb and be born again. And then Jesus begins to talk about the spiritual side rather than the physical side of that. Uh, that was in John 3, 3, where it says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, that's where we, you know, extrapolated that phrase from, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right. So hold on to that for a moment. When Jesus told Nicodemus that we must be born again, what did that really mean? Uh, let me add to that. When Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What was Paul talking about? You've got in both the mouth of Jesus and in the mouth of Paul, you've got the insinuation of this, of this uh, it's a word that I'm, I use a lot. And I'm trying to find another one, but I can't think of a better one. Transformation that takes place where a person was something and then they literally are born as a new thing. I'm adding what Paul said, a new creation um, when Paul writes that, oh, and let, let, me, let me tell you this too. Sometimes when we use that thought of uh, something new, new creation, if you say, um, if you say um, the, uh, uh, you know, they, 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 they got a, uh, they, they remodeled their house and they got a brand new kitchen, right? Well, we all understand when you use it that way that the house is still there, that the room is still there. It may have new cabinets, it may have new sink, may have new fixtures, maybe new appliances, but it is a makeover of an old room. We, we talk about uh, uh, restoring a car. We take a 1957 Chevy and we take out all the old seats and we sand off all the old paint and we put a new motor in and we, before it's done, you could say, man, that car looks better than it did when it was new, or it looks brand new. Here's the deal, though. We all know that it's not brand new. It's a 1957. It's a 57 vintage car that's been redone. That's sort of how we sometimes think about what Jesus does when we are born again. He takes us and kind of shines us up. But that's not at all what the language means when Paul says you're a new creation. The, the, the Greek there indicates the presence of something that never existed before. You don't get remodeled. The old you disappears and a brand new you is born. That's why, that's why Jesus uses the phrase born again. He didn't say, you know, you, you, you get remade or you get shined up or you get cleaned up. We sort of use some of those things when we think about what it means to be Saved, you kind of get, no, the theological implications, and I think ultimately the practical implications are, is that when you become a Christ follower, when you become a believer, that old you begins to die and the new you begins to evolve, or reveal itself, and it's a brand new you. It's not a better version of the old you. And I, I see sometimes people sort of wanting to drag that old them along with them. Well, I'm, and, and listen, we use, we use words that have great theological truth, but we really don't mean what they say. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know what that is? I'm, I'm still going to act like a heathen, but, I, you know, but I'm saved by grace. We are all just sinners saved by grace. 
But you need to understand that in this section, when he says everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has been born of God, he's not talking about that you got cleaned up. He's not talking about that you you kind of got you know uh, you, you know you know Jesus took a, a spit rag and you know got the dirt and got the cow lick to lay down. No, you became a brand new thing, totally reborn. And that's why they use the word born. Uh, babies don't come out, you know, uh, you know uh, there is no real Benjamin Button story. It's a brand new, it, it, brand new infant is just that. It's, it's totally new, totally new in every way. And that's the reason that that term born is used. So maybe for some of you that are watching this or maybe someone that you know that needs it, they need, that, they need to know that. That God didn't just come sort of gloss over the, all of the junk that you used to be. And it's not this, he didn't sweep anything under the rug. He's making you. And I, and I do think and it's in a progressive sanctification and an instantaneous one. You were saved unto salvation, but every day he is forming you into brand new things. Like Paul said, with the old passed away and brand new never before things there. That's the potential of a Christ follower. I just think that's awesome. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's awesome. I I love that. And second in that, and those that do love the Father, they love whoever else has been born of him. You say, well, what about old brother, you know, brother, brother, brother Jones or Sister Smith or, boy, they're just... No, if you're going to be a Christ follower who is born again, you're going to love the other members of the body of Christ. It is a litmus test for genuine born again experience. You love. See, John is going to, we're going to see how faith rolls into this, but he's still on the same theme. You cannot not love and love God. All right. The catalyst for that. The catalyst for that love is the transformation afforded believers through Christ's sacrifice that makes our transformation possible. It's right back to that we got to keep Christ's sacrifice in front of us. You forget that, you start moving the wrong direction. All right? Let's look at verse 2. 1 John 5 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. That's, ah, sounds like an indicator, doesn't it? By this we know. Yes, it is. It's the dipstick to check the oil again. It's an indicator light. It's a, it's a flag that waves when something happens. By this we know. By what? By if we love the brethren. By this we know that we love the children of God. Now listen to this. Man, it gets theologically deep here in a hurry. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God, period, no, and obey his commandments. Uh, this, and let me just tell you, verse 2 is going to make a lot more sense when we get to verse 4. I'm going to hold that, but I just want you to know there's some clarity in these verses when you put them all together that you don't get when you sort of pull one out. But the powerful principle stated here is this. When a person responds to God's love, an inevitable result is love for other believers. When a person genuinely responds and they become a Christ follower... And they embrace the new birth that Christ has made possible for them. And inevitable, inevitable, always conclusion. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? You don't know everybody. No, that's what God's word says. Everyone, all right, that are a part of the children of God, those who love God, all right, love the other children of God, and they obey his commandments. When a person responds to God's love, an inevitable result is love for other believers. He says, and you say, well, Pastor, how do you know that? First of all, I want you to notice this phrase. It's a, it's a collection of Greek words. I, I won't give them to you, but we've seen it several times in, in 1 John. In this first few words, he says, by this we know. You hear the indicator light there? You, hear the, you see the dipstick? By this we know. You can know because of this. John uses that phrase several times. It's like a signpost. It's an indicator light. It's a dipstick we check the oil with. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now watch this. 
You can turn this verse either way, and it is powerful. Do you want to see if you love God? Do you love the children of God? Do you want a measurement for if your love of the children of God is just words or if it's real? Now, my goodness, there's a, there is a sharp dividing line here, and I'm not trying to... I'm just trying to rightly divide God's word. But there are some implications here in the society we live in today. By this we know that we love the children of God. Man, I love the people in my church. I love the things of the people of God in my church. I, I've, got, I've got close friends. I mean, these are friends. I've got great friends that are a part of the body of Christ. All right. John takes that a step further and he says, if you want to know if you love the children of God, all right, do you love God? By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. You remember me talking about sometimes when we use the word born again, we've kind of taken the stuff out of it. This says that Unless you love God and obey his commandments, then you're not really capable of loving the children of God or the other people of God. You say, well, no, I know how I feel. There is something that happens in a person whose life is submitted to the degree that they obey God's commandments. And I'm, that's not just the Ten Commandments, it's the teachings of God. There is something transformative that it does in them that enables them at a more full degree, to love the people of God. That's what John's saying. There's several pieces here. He, we're encouraged to love the other people in the body of Christ. We're encouraged to love God, and we're encouraged to obey his commandments. Stated in another way, with the same meaning. Let me, let me give you just a slightly different, if you take, take the verse, you could, you could write it in a more, I don't know if it's easier, but a different. Let me just give it to you in a different way. You could say, there is a way to confirm that we love our fellow believers. It is when we love God in such a way that we are obedient to what he commands. Let me read that for you again. This same verse, just translated with the same meaning, but with a little bit different words. There is a way to confirm that we love our fellow believers. It is when we love God in such a way that we are obedient to what he commands. Think about this for a minute. You've got a friend, and they are um, confessing a... Hmm, well, this is not going to be popular. <laughs> they are confessing a relationship with Jesus, but they are living in a way outside of God's commands. Um, you can't demonstrate love for them and not remind them of the commands of God. Do you love them? Then love God and obey his commands. Do what the Lord told you to do. And um, be kind in the way that he told you to be kind and forgive in the way. All of those things uh, are a part of this. Um, this th let me just make a, a note here. This feels like a barrier to me, to a belief that is only words. Um, this is not a huge part of most uh, assemblies of God, Pentecostal church belief systems, but I didn't, I didn't grow up in this. I grew up in the Methodist church, uh, lived in a town that was predominantly Catholic. Most of my friends uh, went to a Catholic school. Uh, I went to public school, but they went to a Catholic school. Had a rectory and, a, and, a, and had a, a school that was run by nuns and the place that the nuns lived and a lot of a uh, lot of involvement in our community, Catholic involvement. And there was there was a and listen, this is true in all belief systems, but I just remember it from my from my growing up years and certainly in my teenage years. I had a lot of acquaintances with people who made a profession of belief in Christ. But there was no observable uh, constraint upon their life in any way that would indicate their desire to keep God's commands or to live in a way that honors Him to any degree. Um, I think that's part of what, that's what I mean when I say this feels like a barrier to that. 
to a belief that's only words and that does not manifest itself in a genuine love for others as well as a compliance with God's commands that inform our lives. There's another side to this when I think about it. We live in a world today when preaching the truth of God's word in relation to some social practices is beginning to be called hate speech. Uh, but this prohibits that. You, you, you have to live in accordance with God's commands and you have to love other believers at the same time. You've got to do both. You can't be so caustic and blame it on, well, I'm just, I'm just teaching the truth. I love the fact that John puts these together. You've got to love and live and express, I think, and reveal through your life the genuine commandments of God, but you've got to do both. And I see, I see with some regularity people that migrate towards one camp. I'm, I'm just going to love everybody. I'm not going to get into anybody else's business, and I'm not going to challenge anything that's going on in the world. I'm just going to love. And then others that, oh, my goodness, it's the sword of the word of God, and I'm the bearer of it. It's both, church. We are commanded to do both, to love and to live a life that honors and expresses the commands of God. I just think that's a, a powerful piece here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. All right? I see then in this three components of reborn Christians. Um, and we'll, we'll fill this in in a moment. Three components. Faith, in other words, I've given my life to the Lord. I've, all right, I have, I have trusted him with my soul. So there's faith, and then there is obedience, and there is love. All three. We shouldn't leave any of those out. We are called to express and to have a faith in the Lord. We are called to be obedient to his word. And thirdly, we are called to love. And we can and have to do all three, not just one. All right? That's good. You can't pick and choose one and leave others out. You can't, you can't say, well, you know, two out of three isn't too bad. I have faith and I love. I'm not so obedient. And you say, well, what about grace? Oh, absolutely. You're not always going to be obedient. We're not talking about what you're always able to do. We're talking about what we attempt, what we live to do is be obedient to God. We don't live willfully knowing, hey, I'm just going to do what I want. No, our lives are constrained because of the love of God. And we're going to see it in a moment. It's not, it's not heavy. It's light. Oh, it's lifting. We're, let's go on. We'll get that in a minute. Um, Christianity is not just about how we treat other people. And it's not just about how we feel about God. And it's not just about keeping the rules. That's right from that verse. Let me say that again. Christianity, as an expression of Christianity, is not just one of these. It is not just how we treat other people. You say, well, I'm going to treat people well. That's what my Christianity does. That's good, but that's one component. Christianity is also not only uh, how we feel about God. I love God. I love God. I can stand people, but I love God. You can't leave those out. So it's not just about how we treat people. It's not just about how you orient yourself to the Father and it's also not just about, and I've lived during a period of time in a, in a, in a, in a tradition, it's not just about keeping all the rules, uh, sort of a legalistic list of things, do's and don'ts. Rather, it is a combination of, and I think begins with faith in who he is. That relational aspect causes me to want to be obedient and it causes me to want to love those around me. We have to do all of those, believers, not just one. All right. Verse 3, 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God. Oh, wow. For this is what it means to love God. This is love for God that we keep his commandments. Now, that is just tough. Not, I'm not saying it's tough to do. It is tough to do, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that that is a, man, that is a uncompromising statement. And this is the love of God, this is what John's saying is, hey, let me, and John's been throughout this whole letter going, all right, I'm going to talk to you guys about some of these things that are, remember, this is an epistle sent out to a church. He, he's saying, look, loving God is not just some other definition and it's not subjective. If, 
this, and this is the love of God, keep his commandments. Once again, this is not just talking about the Ten Commandments. This is talking about the teachings, the principles, the truths of God. John qualifies what I love God means. And he also, well, let's just step right there just for a second. There's another thing that he qualifies. John qualifies what it really means when you say, I love God. Is there an emotional component to that? Absolutely. Is there a relational component to that? Yes, there is. We, we, we don't struggle with this in any relationship other than with the Father most of the time. If I say, um, you know what, I, I love my earthly father. My father's deceased, but if he were still alive... And I'd say, man, I just love my dad. Now, I'm not ever going to do anything he tells me to do, but man, I love him. You would instantly go, something's amiss with that. Something's wrong. I love my mom, who's alive. But I tell you what, <laughs> she tells me to do something. She tells me to go right, I'm going left. She tells me to go up, I'm going down. She wants something, I'm giving it to somebody. I mean, you with me? There is an unavoidable link between understanding and loving the Father and living in accordance with His commandments. That's what our world doesn't want to do. Our world wants the benefit and we want the empty place that is in all of us to be filled with the God, you know, there's a God-shaped hole. You've heard that illustration. We want that hole to be filled. But John says, listen, if you're going to love God and He's going to fill that empty spot inside you, the expression that proves that that love is there is that you keep his commandments. I think that's powerful. And then, not only does John qualify what loving God is, he qualifies what keeping those commandments feels like. Because I don't know that we've done a great job in the body of Christ communicating this aspect right here. You say to somebody, keep the rules. There is no context in this world in which keep the rules sounds good. you got to obey the rules. Sounds constraining. It sounds life dampening and like it's going to rob you of all the fun and the joy. And, the, and sometimes if that's what it is, it does do that. But listen, listen to the whole verse. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, how is that? If you look through the history of the world, there haven't been many times, some, and there hasn't been more consistently burdensome tariff and weight put upon people than some of the things that the organized church has done. Not always, but sometimes. Some terrible historical periods of time where in the name of God, incredible burdens were placed upon people. You look back at the Jewish people right before or at the time of Jesus and the weight of the law, the interpretation of the law and the, all the regulations. And the, it was absolutely burdensome. There was no life-giving joy. There was no peace. There was no, it wasn't like, thank you, Lord. It was like, a huge rock had been placed upon people's backs. We've seen some of that in, in the modern church age. It still goes on. People lay, just laden down with guilt and shame because of the things that they're not and the things that the church are telling them. But there is both. It, the, 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 the pendulum swing to that is that we threw off all of it. We threw out the the good and the life-giving and the, and the joy that comes from living in accordance with God's commands. It's there. Some people have never seen it. No, no, if you, you start trying to tell people what it means and you start taking the Bible and you start telling people how to live, that's, that's pharisaical, that's legalism, that's going to take all the joy. No, no, it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. I think... There is a piece missing, and with that piece missing, it is absolutely that. We're going to talk about what that piece is in just a minute. But listen, love is not only sentiment and emotional response.
to God. Love for God, and, and we are a little bit like that in, uh, listen, I love music, and I love, and I don't listen to much that's not worship music. I, I just don't. A little bit, but not much. And I love worshiping. I love being in His presence. But that doesn't flow from the music. And it doesn't flow from the environment. It flows from who He is and an acknowledgement of that. That's what John is saying here. Love is not only sentiment and emotional response, but is here also described as Now watch this, glad acceptance, even joy at the acceptance of God's commands. Now how can that be? How can it be that the the commandments of God, which do constrain us, bring joy and lightness? Well, let me see if I can describe it. You and I are, and this is pretty deep, and this is actually part of my doctoral work, that I'm, some of the research I'm doing. I've, I'm now in the writing research phase for my dissertation, my project. You and I, and we talked about this, and I can't remember if it was on Wednesday night or if it was on a Sunday morning. We were created by God with free will. And that free will uh, gives us the ability to, well, to do what we want, no matter what it is. You can completely reject God. You can completely embrace God. But it's ours. It's our choice. Your choice to make. On top of that, he also told Adam, and through you and I, that continues, that we were to have dominion. I don't know if you've noticed, but Adam was the last of God's creative process. He made all the things, put all the systems in the world, put all the pieces together, and then created Adam and told Adam to rule over it. Express dominion. Have dominion over this thing that I've created. You're going to do that, Adam, through the expression of your free will. There are, and this is part of, part of the doctoral stuff, I want you to think about the fact that before he created Adam, God put into place all the systems of the world. Ecological systems, it rains, it waters the ground, the plants grow, the plants absorb the CO2 that's breathed out by the animals, that CO2... Uh, they absorb the CO2 breathed out by the animals. And they give off oxygen. That oxygen is breathed by the animals. The, the, you know, the, the water condenses, evaporates, condenses, goes back up into the clouds. It rains, and it's a cycle. It's a system by which the one little tiny piece of how the world works. Your heart, you know, your lungs breathe in. Your body separates the component parts of the nitrogen, the oxygen, and the air circulates through your blood. Your cells are fed from the nutrients that you take in. You, you, you get it, all right? Systems, all of that put in place before Adam came. Now, this is just mine. This is part of the theological work I'm doing for, the, for, my, for my doctorate. All of those systems in place, and then God creates Adam. And he tells Adam, you, Adam, through... The permission that I'm giving you as the one who's going to exercise dominion. And you, Adam, through the free will that I've given you, you're going to express that free will right over into all those systems. There are also emotional systems and relational systems and, and family systems and all economic systems, all created by God, I believe. And you and I, we either, through the free will that God's given us, and the dominion. We either obey God's commands, and when we do, see, he made the systems that our mind works by, our emotions work by, family relationships work by, economics work by, all of it. Not The spiritual part is, I'm not even there, but all those systems that God created before he made Adam, and if we do what God commanded us to do, those systems work perfectly. And they work in synergy with one another and relationally and economically and societally and in your family and in your community. When we do what God said do, not man's interpretation, what is word. When we live in accordance and through our dominion and the expression of our free will, we work in harmony with God. The only way to do that is to keep his commandments, to live in accordance with what God told us to do. And when we do, we are blessed. 
Our family is blessed. Our money is blessed. Our, our health is blessed. Our, our, our community is blessed. Our world is blessed. And God's then, listen, and in that way, God's commandments, they're not burdensome. No, they're life-giving. They bring joy. They bring peace. They bring rest. They alleviate anxiety and stress and worry, and they bless us. And, oh, it's good. The world is in a mess. Everywhere you find somebody doing something other than what God instructed us to do. And every time you find that, we're expressing our free will over the top of the way God said it would be, and we're messing up the systems that God put into place for our benefit. If we'll follow his commands, they're not burdensome. Jesus said, look, my yoke, there is a yoke, but it's not heavy it's easy it's light it's going to lift you it's going to produce life and hope and joy and that's how God's commandments aren't burdensome Mm, that's good I'm going to write that down (laughs) I did did write it down Um, listen to verse 4 well let let me say one more thing the transformed life knows the goodness. How do we know it? You're going to get it right here in verse 4. The the transformed life knows the goodness and the benefits of following God's commands. And they produce life. Verse 4. 1 John 5, 4. Here's where faith comes in. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now that may sound like spiritual muckety-muck. It may not sound like a practical thing in your life. It is. Watch this. Oh, this is so good. You need this. Hold on to this. If you haven't seen Sunday's message about what faith is, go back and watch it. Go back and watch it. But let me give you just a thumbnail of it. And I'm going to start from this verse and work backwards. I'm going to start with faith. What is faith? Faith comes from the Greek word uh, hypostasis. Uh, we get the English word spelled exactly like the transliteration there, hypostasis. Hypostasis is when component pieces, a great illustration of it I use Sunday, is uh, there's a medical condition. Hypostasis is a medical condition where the component parts of the blood, for lack of a better term, clot or solidify in areas of the body, and it can be an incredibly dangerous uh, condition, hypostasis, all right? The Greek word that that medical term and scientific term comes from is it actually means to take something and make it solid. It was something that didn't didn't have solidity. It didn't have substance. It wasn't tangible. It wasn't real. It didn't have a bearing upon the environment around it. It didn't have any causative effect. But suddenly something happens and things come together. There's a synergy of things. And then the resulting product of that bears upon the environment around it. It changes what's going on around it. It, it, it affects the environment. It affects the system that it's operating in. Okay, That's what faith is. Now, this says that that faith is the thing by which we gain victory over the world. Your faith can produce in you victory over the world. Now, put that in practical terms. That's got to be more than just a profession. That's got to be more than just saying, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I love God. No, is there this thing that has come together in you that's now infect, that is now affecting the environment of you? Faith has solidified. This is not a... These aren't just little lines, doctrinal statements like I started off with. No, you now see a piece of the picture, and that piece of the picture is real to you and in you, and it is affecting who you are in the world. This is not just something that you've addendumed to your life. You didn't just add this. This isn't a little piece that you just sort of stuck on. Hey, I'm a this, and I go to church. I got it, I got it stuck right there. See, I go to church. I'm basically, and that's why I went into that definition of what being born again is. This won't work. I'm basically the same old person that I've always been, but I just stuck. I go to church on. That, that's not what this is. That's not what this life is. That's not what Jesus died on the cross to do. That's not what Paul was talking about in Corinthians. I'm, I'm basically exactly what I was. 
I'm exactly what everybody else is in the world. I just have my, I go to church hat on, or I, uh, I believe I have a statement. I came down one time. Watch this. I'm going to upset the apple cart of some of our traditions. I walked down. I said a prayer one time, but I'm still exactly the same person with exactly the same mind and exactly the same priorities and exactly the same values and virtues. That's not what Jesus died to produce. And that's certainly not what John's talking about. It's not what any of the epistles talk about. It's not what the apostles wrote about. It's not what they died for. They died that you might become new. That you might give up the old man and be restored in God to what he created you to be. Oh, man, that's good. And it is that faith, the solidifying of that. Suddenly things became real for you. It's by that that you overcome the world. That thing has such substance that you can't, I can't just, I can't just live in the world. I can't just flow along with the current. All of a sudden, I see God as something, faith in what? Now, let's, let's, let's aim that substance towards what? I see him, man. I feel him. I know him to be real. I know him to have a plan for my life. I know him to have a way to live that is good for me. And that's not just some idea. That's real. That's taking on substance, so much substance that it's now informing my life and my environment. And that's what faith does. I used to say it, I still say it like this, but it's got more meaning to it. Faith alters behavior. And that's because something got real for you. I love that you might come from a family tradition where Jesus was honored. That's good. Oh, I wish everyone did. But until it becomes real for you, what mom and dad had is not sufficient. That's an incredible heritage. I believe that person has a great, I mean, all the components are there, but there's got to come a moment where it becomes real for them. And it's not just something that was mom and dad's belief or grandma and grandpa's. All of the things, all right, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. We're not just riding the current. We overcome this world. We've talked about what world means. It's the ways of believing. It's the systems. It's the, the things that the Antichrist, if you go back in 1 John, the world are the things, the beliefs, the, the direction that the Antichrist is drawing the world Jesus overcomes that, and so do we, because we've been born of God. We've been reborn. That old part of us that was in line with that, that's passed away, and now we're a new person. And how do we do it? What's, what provides the victory? Our faith. God's commands are not burdensome because of what faith has provided. Faith makes God solid. It makes him real, makes him substantial in our lives. We've seen overcome before in this book, if you remember, in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Young men overcome the evil one. Believers, it says in chapter 4, verse 4, overcome the Antichrist. And the best of all is not in this epistle, but it's in John's gospel, where he records what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33. John 16, 33. Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. How? Because he's become real in me. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome it. I have overcome the world. Jesus is our example. Remember John's repeated references to overcoming in his letter to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation? Do you remember? It's over and over. To him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes will be given. To, to him who overcomes who will be seated over and over. To each of the churches, to him who overcomes. It is the intention of God through faith in him, through love for him, and through the solidity of what he is in your life that you overcome this world. He's given us the power to do so. In this context, John has in mind victory defined as love for God through faith that joyfully embraces his commands. I don't have to do what God has asked of me. I get to do it. It's a great joy. It's a life-giving force. It's not without cost. and It's not without effort. But it's not burdensome either. 
There's no neutrality in an expression of Christian faith. In other words, we're not just, we're not just sort of stuck in neutral here. We're not just, well, James, I don't have this in the notes, but James says that we don't want to be like the man who's like a wave tossed by the sea to and fro. He says, let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. The counterpiece to that, James says, is faith when God becomes substance in us. There's no neutrality in an expression of Christian faith that allows believers to just do nothing and just be a part of God's family. There is this thought that, that's real in the church world that says, if you just believe, nothing else matters. No, belief has to be faith. And faith becomes substance. And that substance begins to affect you, the environment that is in you, and then it begins to infect the affect and infect the environment around you. That's what faith is. It's more than just saying something. Let me give you one more verse, and then we'll stop. Verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Who is it that does it? Remember, belief here is more than just head knowledge. And he's likened it and attached it to faith. Who is it that's able to overcome the world? The one that believes in who Jesus is. You've got it nailed down. Things become substance in you. It's affecting who you are and what you are. It's causing you to love and be obedient. Loving those around you. And being obedient to the commands of God. John just keeps on taking the subjective out of it, doesn't he? He uh, he just keeps on pushing us towards something more. Well, this has been good. Once more, a reference to the result of faith in Jesus in verse 5 there. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. I love teaching this. I love digging into it. It, it just keeps changing and shaping me. I hope that it is doing the same thing in you. God's word is a sharp two-edged sword. Uh, it does exactly what he sent it forth to do. It changes us. It challenges us. Uh, remember, we'll be back here uh, Sunday morning, live in the building, 8.30 and 10.30. A uh, couple of uh, reminders. Our annual business meeting is coming up on the 28th after, about 12.15, right after the second service. We have two deacons to elect. And uh, we just want to present to you the financial report. It was a great year last year. You'll love it. Um, but remember that we've got that coming up. Um, come out and worship with us in person now. Uh, 8.30 and 10.30 here at the Alton campus, 10.30 at the Wood River campus. Um, God's doing some great things. He's not done um, coming out of this pandemic. I believe God's going to reveal himself in some powerful ways. If you're not already reading through the Bible with us, you can find it at uh, our group, uh, more than 170 strong, uh, Pastor Roy's Bible Reading Group. Um, find that on Facebook. Search Just search Pastor Roy's Bible Reading Group. I don't really do anything but just daily post, uh, daily readings, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, a Psalm, and a Proverb, and... Uh, Take you about 15 minutes, and in a year, you read through the whole Bible. You say, well, you're already halfway done. Join us right where we are. We'll, we'll start again in January 1st. You can, you can get the first part uh, in the last part of the year. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this night. It's been so good to be together. Bless each one. Use us to build your kingdom in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.